as you may know, we are in our third week of generosity, and uh, we have been discussing in the last couple of weeks about the importance of generosity because it not just involves finances, but it involves the entire heart, the entire being, how it affects us within our own culture, our own context, and how we deal with our lives. And so we saw in the first week, we talked about excelling in generosity, giving within our means, beyond our means, giving everything that we have to the Lord. We talked last week about cultivating generosity and how it's important for us to do so as we looked at the life of Paul, also at the life of the Macedonians that he talked to in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Well, this week we're going to talk a little bit something different uh, but yet not different in the sense of, you know, generosity, but a different perspective of it. And we're going to talk about leaving a legacy of generosity, how important it is for us not to just cultivate it, but are we leaving a legacy for our children and our grandchildren? How are we giving in our lives, not only to the church, but giving even freely and willingly and joyfully? And how are we training and teaching our family? And how are we leaving a legacy for them? Well, today I'm going to invite, as you might ask the question, why does he have a couch up front and why does he have a chair here? Well, it's because we're inviting a very special couple this morning, Pastor Dennis and Kathy Faye. We're going to ask them to come on up right now. And we're going to be talking, they're going to share a little bit about how they've been, their lives, how they have um, been giving over the years, how it's affected them, how it's affected their family, and how they've left a legacy for their family. So why don't you give them a round of applause? For Pastor Dennis and Kathy Faye. Yeah, give it up. Come on. Come on. Come on. No, I'm Stop. I'm going to sound. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to embarrass them. Okay. All right. I've already done that plenty of times. So uh, welcome this morning, Pastor Dennis and Kathy. It's great to have you guys here this morning. I wanted to ask you a couple of questions and wanted to give you an opportunity to share as we've been talking about generosity, the significance of it in our lives as believers in Christ and the necessity of us establishing that in our lives. So I want to ask you the first question. What did, it, what did giving to the Lord, to the church, giving in your lives look like at the beginning when you came to faith in Jesus? Yeah. Well, first of all, Pastor, thank you for the opportunity. Um, I just want to make this really clear. Being on staff, um, I didn't struggle with this testimony, but I don't want this to come across as self-serving. So we're about to share our story, our challenge, and our conviction um, as it relates to stewardship. Um, our previous pastor, or the founding pastor of this church, uh, Pastor Thornley, uh, preached on stewardship every single January. Many of you uh, remember that. But we attended Grace for the first time February 1995. Mm. And... Um, Went the entire year not hearing anything about giving. And I remember remarking to Kathy, this church never talks about money. <laughs> Little did I know he spent the whole month of January talking uh, about stewardship. Um, and um, so it was January the following year when we first heard our first stewardship message. And at that time, um, we were given what we thought was appropriate to the church. It was very, very little. We'd never heard really a stewardship message in our life. Um, however, uh, we, were, we were moved by 
Pastor Jeff's messages. We, we, were, we were moved. We, and and, and we, we gave a little bit more after that, but, but, but not much more. Now, Pastor Jeff, um, he believed and he challenged us, and those of you will remember, that we should give a tithe, and a, a 10%. He believed that's where you should start. He understood it was an Old Testament um, um, you know, command, but you know, I think it's Matthew uh, 5, uh, 17 says, do not think I've come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Uh, and pastor just thought that's where we should start. And that mm-hmm. was our challenge. Mm-hmm. But the scripture that really motivated Kathy and I um, uh, came from Malachi 3.10, which says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. If there may be food in my house. And, and listen, he says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Mm. Now, it was at that time that God started to work on our hearts as it related to our finances and trusting the Lord. We were, we were baby Christians. So this whole thing about testing the Lord, that, that was a new concept. And uh, at that time, Pastor Jeff approached us about putting our two daughters in our Christian school, Grace Christian Academy. Well, we knew we couldn't afford to do this. We just, we just knew that. In our house, well, my wife is a math major. She loves numbers. Mm. She handles our finances. Mm. She keeps a budget. <laughs> she has spreadsheets. I mean, you know what? She would put CEOs to to shame the way she keeps her money. And she said, you know what? We can't do it. Well, matter of fact, Kathy, you share. So we told Pastor that we could not afford to put the girls into GCA. And Pastor asked if we would be willing to talk to a financial person he knew who might be able to help us refinance our house. Um, I explained to Pastor that we had tried to refinance our house the year before and it had praised too low and we couldn't do this. He said, well, would you mind talking to her? Can I have her give you a call? So she called us. I explained to her the same thing. And basically she said, it's my dime. Let me waste it. Hmm. So, <laughs> so anyway, so we went, long story short, we were able to refinance our house. Um, because we had a first and second mortgage, we were able to save exactly what we needed to send the girls to GCA. In fact, we say their monthly tuition was $633 a month, and God provided $634. So he provided us a dollar extra. Mm, amen. <laughs> you know, Praise God. in many ways, I found it easier to trust God for my salvation than for my finances. Mm. You know, money, money is such a, a tangible item. But after all the extra expenses uh, we incurred that year, and then to see God bless us by meeting our needs, it just kind of increased our faith. Oh, okay. Well, where am I? Okay, all right. Sorry about that. Um, I got ahead of myself. All right, so we, we saw that blessing from God. So next January rolls around, and Pastor is giving his annual stewardship message again. At that time, God is really working on our hearts, mm. big time. Mm. Uh, at that time, we both worked for the Department of Agriculture. And um, we decided to have lunch together uh, one, one Monday. And I seemed, uh, we've never, we would never do lunch together because I would work out and she was with her friends. But we decided to do lunch together. He had no friends. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm his friend. Cold. So anyway, I met with my only friend, my wife, 
And uh, we met to discuss our giving. Um, and we knew, we knew that a full 10%, full tithe was not possible as we had, Kathy plugged in the numbers to our budget and it came up very, very short. We would clearly be in the red. We were in the mm. negative. So we decided to take things into our own hands. We knew better than God. So we had a plan. Mm. We had a three-year plan, right? Mm. And here, here was our plan. The first year, we would give 5%, which was uh, huge for us because we were giving less than 1%. We're mm. thinking 5% is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Next year, we'd give 7%. Then the following year, 10%, a three-year plan. I left the cafeteria feeling really good about our plan. That afternoon in my office, I was sensing the Holy Spirit saying, eh, you're not trusting me. Mm. And I was really troubled. So mm. on the way home, I was extremely troubled. When I walked into the house, my wife was troubled as well. Uh, the Holy Spirit was convicting us that, you know what, do you trust God or not? Mm. Right? Do you mm. trust him with your finances? Mm. And so we made the decision uh, to give 10% of our gross income. Pastor Jeff used to say, do you want a gross blessing or a net blessing? All right? So we decided to give 10% of our gross um, income. Um, wow. It's going to be tough, and we knew it. But again, Malachi 10 kept registering in my mind, test the Lord. This is the one area you can test the Lord. Again, we knew this would be difficult. We knew that we would finish in the red, but we did it. And to make matters worse, as we started to tithe, our life became a disaster, mm. especially the first two months. Kath? So the, month, the first month, the refrigerator broke completely. We needed a new one. It was one <laughs> month out of warranty. Um, that same week, I was run off the road by an individual passing on a turn on my side of the road. Um, Stacy and I were in the car. I hit a guide wire and, of course, wrecked the car, and we would be responsible for the deductible since the other person never stopped, um, and so we couldn't get his information. Um, after that, um, I, our other car, I was backing out of the driveway, and I hit our rental car. So now we had to fix the rental car on top of our other car. And um, then our doggy ended up in the doggy hospital because she had epilepsy, which was very expensive. But we continued to keep our commitment to the Lord and continued to tithe. At the end of the year, we finished a few dollars in the black. So what happened? Several things allowed us to end up in the black, i.e., we didn't spend as much on groceries, the electric bills were a little less, etc. But the most significant was during that time, I received a significant increase in, my, in one of my paychecks. So I went to my supervisor and I said, do you know any reason why I have all this extra money into my paycheck? And she said, I don't know. My first reaction was anger because we had a secretary who was very nice but not the brightest color in the crayon box. <laughs> and I'm thinking that, okay, I've now got to work with her because she's probably put someone's travel into my paycheck, mm -hmm. and now I have to work with her to create it. I mean, she's the secretary that gave our director a message to call this woman. Um, I think the name was Audrey, and it was his wife. And he said, why would you say to call Audrey? My wife's name is June. And her response is, I don't know why she gave me that name, you know? <laughs> so anyway, so now I had to work with her to correct this. So 
then my boss came to me a little bit later and told me that I had worked on this big project with this other office and the supervisor there had put me in for a significant award so I could keep the money, which was, which was very nice. As I was saying earlier, I, I, I found it easier to trust God for my salvation <coughs> than for my, my own finances. But again, after all the expenses we incurred that year, and to see God bless us the way he blessed us, it just really uh, increased my faith exponentially. Actually, increased both of our faith. We, we just started to grow. But we just didn't grow in stewardship. We started to trust God in all areas mm. of our life. Mm. But it didn't end there. This was probably 1997. Several years later, October of 2002 to be exact, Pastor Thornley asked me if I would consider leaving my job in the federal government to come on staff here to oversee the small group ministry. Now, I was greatly flattered, but I declined because I knew that we couldn't afford it. I mean, my oldest daughter was in Bible school, mm -hmm. and then she was going to a four-year college. My youngest, Stacy, would, would be starting college uh, the following year. Mm -hmm. And I, I, just, I just knew we couldn't make this happen. Plus, I really enjoyed my job in the government. I was making a decent wage, and, and I was very, uh, very happy. But those of you who knew Pastor Jeff, you knew what he said. Pray on it. <laughs> and then he said, I'll pray on it. And that scared me. All right? <laughs> so, my wife... The financial spreadsheet queen made it crystal clear we could not afford to go into full-time Christian service, and I agreed with her, but we did pray. We prayed for six weeks about this. But listen, I wasn't going to make this decision unless my wife was 100% on board. We're doing this as a team. And shortly after Thanksgiving of that year, Kathy came to me and said, We cannot say no to God. Mm. Amen. I was so angry Amen. at Pastor Jeff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, despite a significant pay cut, we made the decision that if God wanted us to go into ministry, he would provide. Mm. And mm. he did. Mm. But, look, we had to change our way of living. Okay? But to be fair, we had to make some changes. Uh, and we were more than willing to do that, but we had to. And... So one of the things we wanted to do, one of the concessions we would make is we would forego our annual family vacation. I mean, it was a small price to pay uh, to be in the ministry. But God is so good to us. Um, someone you all know, uh, Debbie King and, and her husband Dave would vacation in Myrtle Beach. And uh, uh, I think Debbie's aunt had a place in Myrtle Beach that uh, she offered to Debbie uh, free of cost. And Debbie says, hey, why don't you come down for a week? You have to eat anyway, just pay for your food. Yeah. So for six years, we had an amazing vacation with the Kings, and yeah. it really didn't cost us anything. Yeah. Um, not only that, I, this is a little thing, but it just showed me how much God really cares. Amen. This is, at this point, I, I started on staff January of 2003. And maybe, I think Carl Dyke will be the only one who'll remember this, but the New York Giants were in the playoffs. Okay? All right? Yes, Carl, the Giants have been in the playoffs. And our TV broke. Now, all we had was a 13-inch black and white, and we just couldn't afford to buy a new television. All right? We're going into the ministry. Well, a dear friend of mine who owns a furniture restoration shop had this huge TV in his warehouse, and he hauled it down to my house, saying, you can borrow it for a couple weeks. He got it into my house saying, keep it. It's yours, all right? 
year, a year later, one, Kathy's aunt gave us a, a car that was nicer than any other car that we had. Over and over and over, we saw how God just continued to provide for us. And of course, over the last 16 years since I've been on staff, uh, Kathy continued to get promoted uh, and awards, and you know, God just, just continues to provide. It wasn't always easy, but since I came, we came, I came on staff, we've been able to uh, pay for both my daughter's education and to weddings, all right? It's all God. It's all God. Again, I, I am not Amen. boasting yeah. on us. I'm boasting what God did for us. He just continued to provide. God is so faithful, um, and it really strengthened our ability to trust in God for all things. So you guys went from 1%, 5% to God saying 10%, and that is the bottom floor. I agree that it's Old Testament, it's the bottom floor. So how did God now improve your lives in the coming years forward to go from a tithe to cheerful giving? <laughs> uh, let me first say this, that my wife is the most generous person I've ever Amen. met in my Amen. entire life. Amen. She just is. Amen. She really is. Amen. Um, but giving a tithe of our gross income was a challenge for us, and especially for my wife, because mm. she wrote out the tithe check mm-hmm. every single week. Mm. Um, and, and she understood that it was the right thing to do, but she wasn't really cheerful about it. <laughs> Just wasn't. Right? I felt I at least should get credit for obedience, though. <laughs> you do. <laughs> But after seeing the many ways God continued to provide for us, it changed our attitude. It changed our attitude. For example, shortly after we started to tithe, uh, the church entered into a building campaign called mm. His Kingdom First. Mm. And that was a campaign to build the gym and the education wing. And we were challenged then to give a three-year commitment. Here we go again. Mm. All right? But, you know, the funny thing is I, we decided to pray separately on whether we should give and how much to give. We prayed separately, mm. and we came up with the exact same number. Amen. Amen. Right? The exact same number. Um, it, it was amazing. And God continued to provide. And you know what? Over the years, we have become extremely cheerful givers. Again, not boasting in us, yeah, boasting yeah, in the yeah. Lord. We love to give, mm. but God continues to bless us. Mm. And, and, and my wife even pushes me all the time to give more, more, and more. So, yeah, it completely changed our mindset. Awesome, awesome. That's great to hear, to see the change that going from tithe to cheerful giving. So in light of legacy, when we think about, you know, leaving a legacy for generosity, what is the main generosity principle that you would like to hand down to not only have you handed down to your children already, but also to your grandchildren? Yeah. Well, first of all, it's all God's. Okay, it all belongs to God. Mm. And uh, I remember when Pastor Jeff was doing his uh, stewardship series, we'd walk out of here being happy that we could keep 90%, you know? Um, <laughs> but it's just a reminder that it's all God. And, and you know what? My wife has said this over and over and over. We cannot outgive God. Amen. And I think our, kid, our children ha- have Amen. seen that. Uh, Kathy, what are your thoughts? Uh, Our daughters have witnessed firsthand our faithfulness. I used to be plagued by worry. It paralyzed me to the point that I could only concentrate on my worry. Um, God has taught me and Dennis that we can trust him to see us through whatever our circumstances are. And that has changed how we look at things that come into our life. We have learned to trust God in all things. 
Our daughters have seen the transformation in both of us. They have seen us give our time, talents, and treasures, and we have taught them to do the same. Well, great. You know, Pastor Dennis, Kathy, thank you. Thank you for coming up here. Thank you for sharing your story. Many don't understand. They haven't experienced it, and they don't see how could this really truly happen. If I give to God, will he really come through? Mm -hmm. Your lives are an example of that. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you right now, I am so grateful for that. Mm -hmm. So I want to pray for you guys before, mm -hmm. we, before we go into the sermon time. Mm -hmm. And thank God, because I know lives are being changed just through your testimony today. Let's pray. Mm -hmm. Father, thank you. Thank you for Dennis and Kathy. Thank you for their dedication, their commitment, their obedience, their faithfulness. I feel for Kathy because I'm the one who looks over the finances in our home, and it's hard sometimes. But Lord, I'm thankful she was so obedient, that they were obedient together as a couple. They love you so much. Lord, this church has been so blessed to have the Faye family here. And Lord, we have seen their children and they, we now see their grandchildren. Lord, I just thank you for this legacy that you have started and will continue to do a great work. May you challenge each one of us to live a life desiring to give everything we have to you. It's all yours. You own everything under heaven. It's not ours. And so, God, we're grateful. May you move as we continue to worship you through the word of God, and may you challenge us to look to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give him a round of applause. Thanks, bro. Appreciate you, bro. Hey. As I'm about to do some furniture change here, um, I want you guys to understand there's a, there's a purpose behind all of this. There really is. When you see a life that is obedient or lives that are obedient, if it doesn't move you, I don't know what else is going to. I'll tell you, I... I am moved when I see a life that is willing to trust God no matter what. I'm willing to say that God, just use whatever possible to change my heart and change me because I know ultimately that God uses his word, prayer, spirit of God through his people. And this is a life that has been challenged to us, a, a, a family, a marriage that has been committed to say, yes, Lord, I will follow you no matter what, and I will honor you no matter what. I can tell you the many years, and each one of you can attest, can attest and see that God has done the same thing with you, and there are many who are beginning to walk with God, and they don't understand that, and that's why it's important for us to come alongside of other new believers, to challenge them, to love them. I mean, Pastor Thornley challenged Dennis to say, look, pray on it. I mean, that was a huge move to leave a, a really important, purposeful job to say, okay, um, you know, you're, would you be willing to consider a position? And he was willing not only to consider, they were both willing to pray and trust God and to change their lifestyle. That's what moves me in that testimony, to change their lifestyle, to be willing to live on less, to increase their standard of giving and not their standard of living. I was just moved by that testimony, so I'm really, really, really grateful for their lives. Um, so let's go on. Let's just kind of ask. Uh, there's a, you have your worship folder in front of you, your outline. Uh, I, I wanted to talk about legacy and just real quick see how when we think of legacy, we think of David and Solomon. So I, asked, I just made this statement here. We see David's legacy in Solomon three ways. Let's just look at the scriptures here for just a minute 
and realize that there are three things that David handed over to Solomon. And I, I, I touched on it, 1 Corinthians 29 last week, and we're going to touch on it again this week. I just, we're going to go a little bit deeper in it. So what are the three ways or, you know, that David's legacy was in Solomon? Well, one, I believe, is his identity. When we asked, you know, that, that what does that mean, his identity? His identity with God. I mean, God chose him, it says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees as man sees, not, does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We understand the story in the backdrop was the seven sons that were there, but then here comes this runny little handsome guy and you, if you and I would look at eight people cross in the lineup, you would not, you, none of us would pick David. But God said, I picked David because he's a man after my own heart. And here God gives him an identity. He calls him to something. In fact, if you could turn, if you want to turn to 1 Samuel chapter um, 16, I'm even going to highlight a few other verses there. It says this in verses 12 and 13. And he sent and brought him. Now he was ruddy, that was Samuel, and he was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, he said to Samuel, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward, and Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. That was identity. That was being chosen, called of God. Now look with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. 1 Chronicles chapter 28, because this is important. Verse 2, because now David is at the end of his life, and he's handing this kingdom over because God has told him to hand the kingdom over to his son. He was bloody in war, and he was a military king, and God said, you're not building my temple, your son will. And so here, David is handing over, it's been mentioned in chapter 22 and chapter 23, but now it's coming in chapter 28, and we'll even look in chapter 29. It says, then King David rose to his feet and said, hear me, my brothers and my people, verses two through six. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord for the footstool of our God, and I made preparations for building. But God said to me, you may not build a house for my name, for you are a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord God of Israel chose me from all of my father's house to be king over Israel forever. For he chose Judah as a leader and in the house of Judah, my father's house. And among my father's sons, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all of Israel. Verse five, and all my sons, for the Lord has given me many sons, he has chosen Solomon, my son, to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He has said to me, it is Solomon, your son, who shall build my house and my courts, for I have chosen him to be my son, and I will be his father. Then we look to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 1. It says this, but King David, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 1, it's just a chapter over. And King David said to the entire assembly, my son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is just as an experienced young man. And the task is great, for this palace is not for man, but for the Lord. So see, David 
was chosen of God to carry out a specific calling. His identity was chosen from the very beginning. He was a shepherd. God called him out. Similar to what even like we look at Pastor Dennis's life. He was working in the government. Nothing wrong with that. It's a great job. It's a great opportunity for you to be, a, to be a witness for the kingdom of God, to be a representative of the gospel, an ambassador for Christ. But God said, I chose Dennis Faye to come and to be a pastor here at Grace Church. And see, similarly, God chose David for a calling, specifically to be the king, to lead his people, a military king, to overcome nations surrounding Israel. He was called to lead God's people. He was called to establish and build a temple to hand it off to his son. The presence of God, it was established for his people to be identified with God. That's where identity is and who we are in God and who we are today in Christ. Who we are in Yahweh, as in the Hebrew it says Yahweh. Important for us to understand because identity, being called, chosen by God, is sincerely carries us through the most challenging times of our lives. When we find that our identity is in Christ, no matter what we come across, we know who we are in Jesus Christ. When finances get difficult, when challenges come, when things break down, when we know we're in the red and we're not, we don't know what to do, God's saying, I've called you. I have seen that in my life often. I'm sure some of you as well. When trouble comes, when difficulties and trials and tribulations, when we see our children wayward, when we see the struggles of our marriages, when we see that people really don't care, when we're hurting, God's saying, I've called you. I've called you to, I, to be identified in who I am as a representative. And I've called you, and that's where you and I, we need to realize, just like David, that his identity in God as we know even in Christ, is an identity we have in Christ we hand over to our children. That's the legacy. That's the legacy. Even in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 6, it says this, And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love for your servant David, my father. Here's how he's handed off to him as a legacy. Now David gets it. I mean, Solomon gets it from David. And because he walked before you in faithfulness, this is the son talking about the father, in righteousness and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him his, this great and steadfast love. That's a loyal covenant love and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. I mean, Solomon caught it. David handed it off to him. And David understood that his son had to catch it. It wasn't as though he received it from David and he was reluctant. It wasn't as though he received it because he fell under compulsion. He got it. In fact, we understand too, when Solomon, when God asked of Solomon, what of all things that he could ask for? He said, I want wisdom. And so because of that response, God blessed him with finances to be one of the most wealthiest men to ever live on the earth at that time. And see, that's what we have to understand. Even in 1 Kings 9, it says this, as for you, you will walk before me. As David, your father, walked, God is saying this to Solomon, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all what I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules. So we've got to understand something. This is very, very important where to be reminded. We have to be reminded with who we are, why he called us, why it's important to see him finish what he started in us. I mean, Paul got that. David got that, and so he found out that, one, it's that it's identity that he handed over. Two, 
He, ended, he, he wanted to hand over his integrity. What good is a father to a son or a legacy if you and I are not people of integrity, people of character? And David, and see, you have to understand something. People of integrity doesn't mean you're living a perfect life, nor that you don't have flaws, nor that you're not going to fail. That's not what integrity is. Integrity means when you fail, you admit that you need help. When you fail, you confess your sin. When you fail, not if, but when you fail, you come clean, you're transparent, you're vulnerable. It's not about perfection. God never called us to that, and God didn't call David to that. We see in the life of David, he messed up often. But then he confessed his sin and took responsibility of his own sin. And see, when we see the heart of David, we have to understand. Look with me to 1 Chronicles 29, verse 3. Because here's now where finances get into the talk, the integrity component. Because David had to now show his son that he was willing to give everything. Look with me to verse thir- 3. Moreover, in addition to all I have provided for, for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. Because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of of my God. ESV says devotion. The NET says commitment. Even the NASB says delight. So what we see there is that in the Hebrew, it really means a devotion with a delight, meaning devoting and committing with delight to give, with a passion and a joy and a willingness to give because it's a joyous privilege to give unto God. It's all his anyway. And so we have to understand that. See, let's not, again, let's not mistake in heart devotion and commitment with feeling, right? When you and I are committed to our marriages, it doesn't always feel good to be committed to your spouse, but God's called us to that. It doesn't feel good when your kid talks back to you and you have to be nice about it and you're not, you're going to lose your cool. See, heart and devotion sometimes is not about feeling with God either because heart and devotion is about passion and purpose, It means whether we feel it or not, we're called to obedience and faithfulness. That's what David was willing to do. Look, when David gave of his gold and silver, I don't know if we fully understand this. Watch this. The gold was 100 tons, okay? Silver was 235 tons. It's estimated today to be in the billions and billions of dollars. Easy billions of dollars that he gave unto the Lord and to the house and the temple of God. I mean, the giving wasn't, oh, he could give it. Well, he gave out of his own personal treasure. That's why it says, when it says he provided, he says, I have a treasure. Actually, in the Hebrew, it means personal treasure. In fact, it's the idea that's only been, it's been only stated seven times in the book, in the Hebrew, in in the Hebrew Bible, and elsewhere where it was mentioned, it was mentioned even where God said about us, his treasured possession in in Exodus 19.5. We see in First Peter chapter 2 that God uses it as saying, this is my personal treasure. You and I, his church, his people, are his personal treasure. That we're worth more than billions of dollars. Do we get it? I mean, if God gave us his son, what are we to give back to him? Just a tenth? What does it mean to give cheerfully? That's different for everybody. But what is God calling? I've heard of people giving their entire checks. Now, I'm not saying you should do that, but I've heard of people doing it. And we can never outgive God. If God calls you to do it, you only do it when God calls you to do it. 
because it's a calling that he gives to each one of us. But he's calling each one of us and commanding each one of us to give. It's a responsibility for each one of us to do so, to give of everything of our generosity. See, David understood that as a leader, he could not ask of his people more than what he wasn't willing to do. I've said that often in David too, because integrity means obedience and faithfulness to God. That's what it means. And so the treasure possession I mentioned, the NET says jewels. Sometimes we refer to our treasured, you know, possession, our treasured, our precious possession, like our children, our jewels. We would never give them up. But God even had Abraham ready to give up Isaac. I mean, that was his precious treasure. And see, that's what we have to do. We have to be willing to go willingly. What an awesome legacy to offer to the son. Look with me to First Chronicles 29.6. Because look, he, he wouldn't ask for anything more than he would expect of himself. Look at how the men responded. All the people there. He says, then the leaders of the father's houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. Meaning they saw what David did, they were willing to respond. Each one of us, anyone as leaders, as pastors, we cannot sit up here. And we're not just trying to highlight ourselves in all our testimonies, but we can't sit up here and, and encourage you and, and, and stir you on and urge you to give if we haven't done it ourselves. It has been a joy to give. It's hard, it's difficult, but still a joy. Joy doesn't mean that um, it's not hard. Heart and devotion doesn't mean it's not hard. But there is a joy and a delight to give to the Lord because you see God's hand in all of it. It's all his. And so as we look at even 1 Chronicles 29, 17, I, I'm sharing these scriptures because it's important today to understand this. I know, my God, that you test my heart and have pleasure in uprightness. And in the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. See, David knew God tested the heart. See, that's why I said the testing of a heart creates integrity. The testing of a heart creates willingness. The testing of a heart creates intentionality because it produces uprightness and it pleases God. See, the testing really is for purity's sake. When you see the word pure in the Old Testament, really it's the word testing in Hebrew for the most part because God is testing us to live lives that are pure. When we give, we're living a life that is pure. The third thing that we have to understand, too, is that he also offered his legacy to his son through his influence. Remember, let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16. Very important because this is the Davidic covenant. He's, his influence was that, wow, Solomon carried the influence of saying that I am not just the next king. I'm in line for the king that is to come, ultimately the Messiah. And he got it. And God shared that with David. And Solomon got it. And here it says in 2 Samuel, when the days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up you an offspring after you shall come from your, from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house in my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son and when he commits iniquity, which is this is referring to the human descendants of the lineage, 
I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from him before. Why? Because he had Jesus still in mind. He had it focused, the Messiah to come. It says, verse 16, and your house, your kingdom shall be for sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And now even in 1 Kings chapter 2, 1 through 4, when David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son saying, I am going to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statues, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies. He's saying, here's my legacy, son, now take it. It is written in the law of Moses that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, but that the Lord may establish his word in that spoken concerning me, saying, if your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all your heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. That's what he does. He's called him, he's offered him a legacy. And so I asked the question, how does God empower us to leave a legacy of generosity to our family? How does he do that? One, the first principle. I don't know about you, but the first principle is necessary. Set and maintain the standard of giving God our first and our best. Where does this come from? It started at the beginning in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 5. Remember, as we understand the story, and as you see this passage, we have to understand that Abel gave of his first stock, his firstborn. Cain just gave some of his produce and not his first. See, what the, the, the idea here was that the first principle was God deserves the first and very best. See, it wasn't that he just gave his first and very best. It was the attitude behind it. See, Abel was willing to give everything he had to God. His attitude and his action pleased God. Even in Hebrews chapter 11, it said it was a pleasing, it was a, it was a sweet aroma, an offering to God that God honored. But with Cain, it was not. His attitude and his action did not please God. And see, even in Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, it says, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. We understand that because God has already reminded us in Proverbs 3, 9, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, when we give first, he'll bless us. So it's not the blessing that we look for, but because the obedient act of faithfulness to give because he's well-deserved of it. Two, stewardship. God's called us to hand over that to our children and our grandchildren. Stewardship. Functioning as managers of God's money, remembering that it's not ours anyway. We have to understand that. I mean, even look at Job. Remember in the life of Job, Job had the three friends accusing him after he lost everything, even a special friend at the end. Then God said, let me get in on this. Let me have a discussion with you. Chapters 38 through up to 42, God had his say, and he explained everything, and he said, hey, wait a minute. Where were you all when I created the heavens and the earth and all the animals? Where were you? In fact, God made a distinctive statement right here in 41.11. He says, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Wow. Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. 
It all belongs to me. It's God's. It's not ours to say it's ours. We're not owners of it. When we are bought with a price, we're in Christ, it's not for us to say it's ours. That's why when Dennis was saying we're not boasting, of course he's not boasting because he's saying it's all God's. We're not boasting here of anything that we have because it's not ours. We have to change that mindset. We've got to grasp and understand that it's his. Even David got it. I remember I shared this with you last week. But who am I in verse 14 of Chronicles? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, Lord, and of your own have we given to you. Meaning you've given it to us. We're just giving it back. It's all yours. You know, I, I said, which principles should we use to be good managers of his money? What principles? So here's a few principles I came up with. Give regularly and generously. Give regularly and generously. Regularly doesn't mean the same amount. Regularly just means you give all the time. But give generously. Ask and pray. Ask. Just like the phase that they prayed. They went to the Lord. They said, Lord, do you want us to do this? Yes. The Lord said, I've called you to it. Two, don't spend more than you make. <laughs> don't spend, it's really that simple. Don't get into debt, stay out of debt. <laughs> I mean, for our younger generation, we can offer that as a legacy. We've got to learn, with, learn to live with less. And that's, that's hard. It's hard. Because sometimes, you know, we're, just, we're struggling with that. Three, don't let others convince you to spend more beyond your means. I mean, you can give beyond your means, but don't spend beyond your means because God already challenged us to, to give beyond our means. Four, spend on your needs. Always question what you want. Spend on your needs. Always question what you want. When we were struggling big time. I mean big. You know what happened? I said, Joy, we're like, can we spend money on food? Of course, those are our needs. How about clothes? Of course, those are our needs. How about this? Do we, I said, do we need it? Do we, I mean, do we want it or do we need it? We don't need it? Okay, then we don't spend it. That was that, that bottom line. That's what we're doing even now. Do we really want it or do we need it? It's always helpful. Five, bring agreement with your spouse. Notice the phase. You know, as Dennis said, hey, we're a team here. We don't do this without doing this together. It's important for us to understand that as stewards, we're called to that. Three, is we have to understand, too, that there's a servanthood for leaving a legacy. We show forth our children and our children's children that make God our master, not money. <laughs> we understand that because even Jesus said, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one or love the other or he will be devoted to the one or despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's really important for us to understand because it's a treasure. You know, today we're going to uh, offer you one a family the Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn, a great, great read. If you've read it before, please read it again. I'm reading it again. Uh, it's a great book. We're going to have it over there in our foyer at the information desk. Just grab one for your family. Don't bring two kids up there, just one. And just grab a book because this is a great book. I'm going to encourage you to either read it as a couple, read it alone, uh, read it as a family. This is a great, awesome, awesome book because our Treasure Principle should always be that God is our master not money. Lastly, understand too, eternal perspective. Set our minds on the eternal, not the earthly. So we understand that with Colossians. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. It even says in the following verse, because we are hidden in Christ. We are hidden in Christ. It's an important thing for us to grasp. You know, I was moved by um, a person who I'm reading a book now, Give It All Away, by Steve Green. And I'll tell you um, what an incredible, it's the Green family. The Green family's Hobby Lobby. And they're a family that believes in legacy, a family that believes that they're going to do everything with great integrity, everything honoring to both the state, the country, and God financially. They've, they have paid more than their taxes expected. They have done everything with great integrity. But what I loved about their testimony was they continued to give and trusted God. Now, you may say, well, a billionaire can always give. N- not necessarily. They don't have to. But they've been giving to Christian causes. In fact, the Museum of the Bible, the one down in Washington, D.C., they're the main primary donors of that. And so what's interesting is that they continue to give and all these different, and I'll be sharing with that next week, but their perspective is real simple. We give to God generously. He's even mentioned in his book they've given over 50% of of their profits. You might say again, you might be skeptical and saying, well, they can afford that. How do we know? Just because they have more money doesn't mean they don't, I think with more money you have more expenses. (laughs) So we don't know their expenses, but we sure enough know that they have a heart to give. And so I want to tell you that they have an internal perspective. They don't, that was the one thing he wrote in a book, and I'm still reading through it, focusing on Christ, on the things above rather than the things on earth. Because he can justify it by saying, I'm a billionaire, I can get whatever I want. But he's chosen not to do that. He's chosen to say, hey, wait a minute. This is the influence that I have. See, David, he was willing to give. He's willing to be an influence to his son. The greatest legacy that he gave, I think, as I see it, is identity, integrity, and influence. And he even showed forth giving of everything that he had, his own personal treasure, to build the temple, to make sure that people were covered. And I'm telling you, as a people of God, we have to be mindful of that. And and before we uh, head out today, we're going to be praying over these boxes because this is generosity. And we need to be mindful, too, that God has called us to something. He's called us to a place of giving in our hearts. So as the worship team is coming up, I just want to pray for you. I want to pray that, you're, you know, that, that each one of us will be challenged to continue to give, to be generous, to continue to give regularly, to ask God to do a work in us. And as he does, um, just to move in a mighty, mighty way. So just uh, let's, let's pray. Let's ask God to do an awesome, awesome work as the team is coming up. Father, thank you. Our hearts are yours. Everything belongs to you. And I know that has to continually be reminded us because we're in the earthly. We see in our finite minds and see in our hearts, we see everything around us. We see how people have so many things. I called last week the stuff. But yet, God, you've called us first to give to you. And whatever's left over, if you want us to give more, then we give more, Lord, and we live on less. Because I know that, Lord, eternally means that when we pass from this life to the next, we can't bring anything with us. There's nothing we could take with us. No money, no stuff, no even precious treasures. We can't. We simply are transferring from this world, this earth, to your presence because of Jesus. So, Lord, help us to understand
What legacy can we offer to our children and our grandchildren? And challenge us today, Lord. May they see in us a giving, generous heart. Not only giving here to the church, but giving in all areas, in talents and treasures and gifts, all of it, so that we can bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen.